We have been resizing ourselves by declaring who God is and who we are by speaking truth, by hearing truth, by being together. And now we have a chance for God's word to challenge our hearts together. We are in the letter of Peter to the churches of Asia Minor, First Peter. Our text today is chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. It was not planned this way, but I can think of no more powerful text to bring forward to our community on Confirmation Sunday. And those of you who have been part of the confirmation process today, I just have a sense that this is a word for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, unlike other things. (laughs) Kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And although you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord for us today. When I was reading this text, it was this phrase, You rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. When I heard those words, that's what leapt off the page to me. And it made me ask the question, I wonder if that marks my life. And I had to say, I'm not sure that's marking my life in these days. And I wondered what was up with that. And I thought I would say that out loud for us. How many of us could see the phrase indescribable and glorious joy as the mark of our lives, those of us who are following Christ? The text doesn't say it should be. Uh, Peter is assuming the fact that that is the case of these Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor under the pressure of a Roman Empire that didn't want them in place. So I was thinking, what is Joy, what is it? Often I've grown up distinguishing between joy and happiness, and I think there's something to that particular um, 
that particular exercise, we think that joy as a fruit of the Spirit, as something that comes from God, is deeper than mere emotion, though it is an emotion or it contains emotion. It is delight and gladness, maybe ecstasy. Um, maybe that's it, but there's, there's more than just sort of a reaction to a moment. There's something deep and abiding in it. There's something profound and stable in it. And I was thinking about eating. I was thinking that when I eat, there are two distinct experiences. There's the taste in the moment, and then there's the well-being of being full. Now, aren't those different? The taste in the moment, the explosion of flavor on the tongue, and then the beautiful feeling of no longer being hungry, provided that you didn't eat too much and you went past that point and now you're in the agony of being <laughs> overstuffed. And I wonder if joy is like being full. It's a pleasurable sense, but it's a stable, deep, rising up sense of well-being. What do you think? Let's call happiness the burst of flavor Let's call joy being full. Begin to think of fullness as it's used through the New Testament and it strikes me as a, as a core concept of what it means to be in Christ, full. Jesus is described as the fullness of God. John in chapter one will say, of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Paul will pray in Ephesians chapter three something like this. I pray that you might know the love of Christ, how high and deep and wide it is, so that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Jesus said, I, I, I pray that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be full. If we're not living in a kind of place where we know a sense of deep abiding fullness and probably a lot of us are in different places today I, I say this to myself and up front that there's a fullness to be known and had it's not so much we have to create it or manufacture it it's more given than made I just think of Jesus' prayer that it's his joy that might be in us or the great statement from the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. A joy that comes from him, but it also comes from the way that we think and it comes from our engagement with Jesus in the world. And our text today says a couple of things. That joy it's a term three times in our passage. Clearly, it's in the forefront of Peter's mind. Comes as a result of knowing the gifts that we've been given. He'll call that salvation. It comes from a solidarity with Jesus in the middle of our suffering. And it comes from a sense of where we are in the great story of God. Verses three through five it begin with a benediction and it speaks about the great benefits that we've had in this thing called salvation. We've been born again, which is Peter listening to the teaching of Jesus back in John 3. Jesus said, if we come to him, we are actually born again. A new life happens inside of us. 
We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we gain an inheritance, a coming beautiful future that's undefilable and indefatigable. (laughs) I'm gonna throw that one in there. Imperishable. This amazing new creation future that awaits us. And if we could live in the cognizance of it, there would be something about that that would give us a fullness in the rocky, empty, broken roads that we often have to traverse now. The word salvation, one of those Christian words, don't think of it as a single-thread simplistic idea like, I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. That's too narrow of the word. In the New Testament, salvation is robust, multi-threaded, like a scarf, right? Four words that help us get at the idea of salvation all start with R for easy memory. Here they are. Salvation includes being rescued from the clutches of whatever, sin or the devil himself. Rescue, being plucked out of danger. Salvation includes restore, being restored, meaning being healed, being put back together again. Salvation includes this word, reconciled, meaning relationships are restored, brought back together. Sin and what keeps us away from God is forgiven. We're brought back together with each other. We're brought back together with this world. Reconciliation is a part of salvation. And then there's finally this sense of being recommissioned back to the destiny of what it meant to be human in the first place. Being a dominioneer with God, serving in his image, with his values, serving for and in, in the world. All of those ideas are packed in this simple word salvation. And, and Peter is getting a sense that if we know the package that we've been given, the rescue and the healing and the restoration and the reconciliation and the call on our lives and the future to which we're headed and the gift that we've been given all made possible through the resurrection of Jesus. If we could get that in our heads, there's something about really knowing that that would put a fullness in us. So there's that. But at the heart of this passage And here's where I want to particularly address our confirmation students today. But for all of us, at the heart of this passage, Peter is insisting that there is a joy in particular when we suffer for and as Christians. There's a lot of kinds of suffering in the world. I would characterize, if I were to attempt to categorize suffering that we experience, I would I'd probably say there's three types. There's the kind that comes because we made a bad decision. So it's called the consequence of our own decisions. A lot of our suffering is just rooted in that. There's suffering that comes from just being humans in a broken world. So we get diagnosed with diseases. Someone that we love gets hurt. Uh, there's, there's a lot of sadness and disappointment in the world. It's not because you did something wrong. It's just because this world is under a curse and it's fallen apart. There's a lot of suffering like that. But there's a third kind of suffering, and this is the suffering precisely because you've chosen to be a Jesus follower and you're, you're living into that in a world that doesn't like it. And so we could talk uh, a whole sermon about joy and what God does in all of these forms of suffering, but the kind of suffering that's prevalent in the, in the book of 1 Peter is trouble suffering, trials, ridicule, ostracization, persecution, discrimination that comes precisely to those and because people are naming Jesus, 
identifying with Jesus, trying to live Jesus' way in the world. And I want to talk about this idea primarily today. As the students stand up here and they make a confirmation in front of all of us, Perhaps easy to do in the moment, but what does it mean? It means if we're gonna confirm and identify our faith, we're gonna go into a world that is increasingly hostile to the idea of Jesus. In our own context, increasingly hostile to the notion of Jesus as Lord, Jesus as real, Jesus as risen from the dead, Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And as we hold on to him, we can surely expect, young people, but even old people, all of us around us, we can expect that in the world that's forming around us, we will find this resistance, this reaction, all sorts of things coming. And Peter is saying there in that place is a remarkable joy that if we can dare believe it, we can hold on. And when the moment of test comes, we will not turn away. Let me say four reasons why I think joy rises up in and precisely when we are, uh, when we encounter suffering precisely for being Jesus followers. The idea that's given in our text today is that the genuineness of our faith gets tested and proved I think that's important to say this. In a culture that doesn't uh, press up against our Christian identity very much, it's easy to be a Christian. And I have grown up, I would say, uh, with little to none persecution, discrimination, or ridicule being as a Christian. I, I haven't experienced it. So I'm not now speaking from my life story. Um, and I have to say that sometimes in a life like mine, the question rises up, I wonder what I would do in the moment if, uh, you know, if the gun is pressed to my head or I am in a place where I would be ridiculed or exposed or embarrassed for standing up for Jesus, what will I do? Will I fudge? Will I, like Peter did in his life, will I deny? Will I hide? Will I keep a low profile? What will I do when before me the prospect of being exposed as a Jesus person and receiving some sort of pressure or reaction or ridicule, what what am I gonna do? When it happens, Peter says, it is happening and you're standing firm. It's a sign that you're the real deal. See, because when the heat goes up and we run out, it's kind of a way to say, I guess I was on easy boat and I liked easy boat, but I don't know if I was really committed after all. The heat shows up the real thing. It was a parable of Jesus who talked about a sower who sowed four kinds of seeds, different kinds of soil. One of those soils was a shallow soil that when the heat came, the, the, the little plant just withered away. And I think by that, Jesus was showing, hey, there's gonna be some people that are really upfront, kind of when it's easy to say, yeah, I'm in. But when it gets hard, quickly out the door. But there's a joy in discovering, hey, I'm the real deal. I did it. It came. The tests came and I I stood my ground. I didn't run away. Reminds me of the great elf queen in the movie The Lord of the Rings. 
That's such a, that, I'm sorry, that is so out of there. That's such a vague little, if you know the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. When she says, I've passed the test, I will now move on into the, the other realms. But there's a sense in which the test comes, will we pass it? Suffering and trial will be a test for our faith. And there is joy to be had in standing firm. I think there's another joy in the suffering for Jesus and it's this, is that that kind of suffering compared to the others is a kind of innocent suffering where it's not because we've done something wrong and innocence gives us a kind of power in the middle of of the pain. Not only that a promise sense of vindication that God knows and sees what is true and that all that is true and right will one day be declared to be so. There's a kind of joy in that. Have any of you ever been experienced by being accused of something wrongly and you knew you were innocent? and maybe other people didn't, that's a hard, really, place to be, but there's something powerful in knowing in your heart what's true about you. I think there's a link to joy in that reality, in that experience, number two. Number three, I think there's this, and maybe this is the most beautiful of all, that when we suffer for Jesus, as a Jesus person, there's a unique solidarity with him because Jesus was our suffering captain. And Peter will say in this letter, we'll see it, because he suffered so so will we. We're gonna follow in his footsteps. And shouldn't that be the case that if our captain went down a certain road, we're gonna follow him down that same road? Don't count it weird when it happens, Peter will say. Don't think it's as strange when the fiery trials come upon you. No, no, this is the way. And there's a a phrase in in Paul, Philippians chapter three, called I want to know God's, I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, but he says, I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Not that we ever want suffering for its own sake, but in it, we get connected with an intimacy to Jesus unlike the spaces where all is still and well. I think he meets us there. There's something about being with him in that place that bridges the gap of invisibility in which we often live where Jesus seems just like an idea, a distant notion. Is it really real? Is it really true? These questions that we ask in in the times of peace take on a texture of, of reality when we're being pressed and he meets us, I believe, in that place of suffering. Interesting that our text after Peter tells them, listen, there's a joy when you undergo these sufferings because this The reality of the genuineness of your faith will be tested and it will be shown to be the real deal. And then he says this, you see it there in verse eight. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with this undescribable and glorious joy. I just wonder if there's that sense of meeting him in our suffering for him makes him visible in a way that's unique and palpable. His joy entering into us, us knowing him in that place. It's all through the New Testament. It's all through the testimonies of the martyrs of history. But because I don't know this so much myself yet, I went reading this week about the persecuted church. Open Doors is a website that tracks the persecuted church. North Korea currently is the number one country in the world uh, with the most severe persecution against Christians. It's been number one actually for the last 15 years. And I was reading just some testimony um, from a North Christian, uh, Korean, a North Korean Christian who um, 
was talking about a friend of his who's in prison, and they were talking about what it means to be a Christian in North Korea. And, and let me use this person's words, um, for they speak with an integrity that I don't know how to speak out of yet. The, 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 the man wrote this in, in a, an interview with Open Door. I've known this man who's now in prison for a long time. When he came to faith, he made the decision that one day he would die for Christ. Every Christian in North Korea has made that choice. You have to understand that in that culture, since um, probably the mid-1940s, when the crackdown upon Christians happened, uh, it is punishable by death to found found, uh, with a Bible in your possession. If they find a Bible with no name on it, they leave it and wait to see who they can attach it to. Labor camps, death. The spy network in North Korea is so infiltrated that to gather with other Christians is always a risk because you just don't know if the actors who are being paid and given good jobs by the government to find Christians. They don't actually do this against Buddhism. Christians. They associate it with the West. It's targeted at such a deep level that parents can't even share with their young children about Christ for fear that inadvertently those children will give up their parents not knowing what they're doing. How crazy complex it must be for them. This friend writes, every Christian in North Korea though has made the choice. Every Christian in my country has the spirit of martyrdom in in him. If you lose that spirit for one second, you cannot carry the burden of being a follower of Jesus. But my friend knew that one day he would get caught and on that day he had to be steadfast in the faith and loyal to Jesus. And I'm convinced that he can take the suffering because he constantly reminds himself of the joy that is set before him. I just wanted to give witness to our North Korean brothers and sisters this morning on Confirmation Sunday when our students have said before us, yes to the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus in our country, it's a question mark of where it will lead, where things will go in our own context. But who knows where we, any of us, might be called to work in the world, this now global economy in which we're all able to go anywhere. It's around us. And I call out the joy factor in face of it to strengthen us before it comes. So when it comes, we will know that there is a power to be given, a joy to be known, an intimacy with Jesus, a kind of proof that we're the real thing that can give us something to stand on if things continue to get harder and harder. The last part of our chapter today tells us that we are in a story, people, you and I are in the most amazing part of God's great story since the creation of time. He saw it would all happen. He knew that the creation would fall into rebellion and sin. He knew that he himself through Jesus would come into the world. And the last part of our text that we read, Peter is saying, you know what? All those prophets in the old days, they were writing prophecies because they were trying to figure out what the spirit of Christ was telling them about our day. 
that the prophets of old were writing about the day when Jesus would come into the world and die and rise again and the people of Jesus would would be on the earth with his spirit in them. We are in the looked forward to days. Peter was and we are still in that same period of time. We call this the last days. It's been a long last days. But that's the period that we get to live in the story of God's changing of the whole world. And our text today even ends with this enticing statement. Even the angels are longing to look into the story in which we are getting to play on the stage. Even the angels in heaven don't have the whole story, how this is gonna go, where it's gonna end, what's gonna, how it's all gonna happen. They're watching. The verb there to watch is a verb that suggests peeking over a window. Watching this story unfold, and guess what? We, you and I, in this day and age, in Northern California, in Walnut Creek, or whatever city we live in, we are part of the privileged story. And here's the final joy that I wanna say is in store for us, that if we stay the course and say yes, he has a plan for us to play our part in what he's doing. Every student that stood up here and said yes to going the way of Jesus, he's got a plan for you, something that he's gonna use and do in you as part of his great story. And the angels are watching you going, let's watch Naomi Kurtz for a while. What's God gonna do through her story, through Kim's life? What's he gonna do through you? And Fletcher, Connor, and Jake, Luke, Caleb, I don't want to forget anybody. Laney, Nathaniel, and Seth. Who else? Did I miss anybody? Justin. I got Kim. Right? But I could just go on and start looking at everybody sitting in this rose. Everybody, we're part of the drama. We're part of the play. And there's a joy to be had in discovering that if we stand true to what God is calling us to do, we're gonna find not only the joy of solidarity with Jesus, not only the joy of the salvation that we've been given, not only the joy of an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading, but we'll also experience the joy of contributing to the game, of of giving our life into uh, the storyline of what God is doing to make all things right, all things new. Like it was for those two Chinese deacons Near the border of North Korea, one day on their door, there knocked a polite door. They came to the door and an 11-year-old North Korean girl was standing there. After hours of traversing through mountain and river, she had come to this church in China and knocked on the door and they said to her, how, how did you come here? She said this, my grandfather always told me if you can ever escape, go find the people of the cross. They will help you. And the joy of those two opening the door to her is the joy that waits for all of us to open the door to what God has for each of us going ahead. If we will hang on and stay true and know the joy of Jesus, which is the joy that is the fullest kind of all. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a soberness in Peter's letter to us, a a call to wake up and say that to follow you in the world is not an easy road, that it will cost us something. 
and how we want to be those seeds planted in soil that don't wither when the sun gets hot, when the rocks and the thorns crowd us out, how we want to be those seeds that grow up a hundredfold into your water and sunshine. But this is not something we can just do, Lord, by sheer grit and determination. We need you to fill us with your spirit and to help us and to shape our minds. And let us taste the indescribable and glorious joy in bits that make us hungry for that more than the other delights and tastes of the world around us. Plant our feet deep upon you as our rock, as our cornerstone. Help us. Help us be true to the confirmation statements that we make all of us today afresh. When we say, yes, we're gonna follow you no matter what. Maybe we don't even know what that means yet, but when the time comes, strengthen us. I pray for us as a church that we'll be true and faithful to you and that we will be marked by joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.